Hello, and welcome back to the AP Reread, your audio version of Sparknotes, enabling you to hold educated conversations on books you've barely touched. It's our last episode, guys. It's sad, I know. I cried before this. I'm sure y'all did too. You know, I have empty boxes of Kleenex covering my bed. We're not going to talk about that. Um, so we're just going to sum up what we have learned in AP literature all yeah. this year. And although we won't be discussing a book, we will be discussing literature at its core and the power of stories. If we can even get through it, because my eyes are still very puffy from all the crying. <laughs> oh, poor thing. Okay. <laughs> so, we have a few prompts to build off of, and this is going to be more of a conversation-style podcast um, a little less analysis and a little more just good old-fashioned talking it out. So let's get started. So the first prompt is, what stories mattered most to you as a child and why? I feel like as- I know- oh, sorry. Oh, you can go ahead. Oh. I know for sure growing up, uh, every time there was a story about racism and how the main character dealt with it or just the world around them, um, that those really impact me just because like uh, growing up as an Asian it it was a little bit tougher growing up in neighborhoods that weren't predominantly Asian you could say yeah I for sure agree with you and while it wasn't always like racism for me I always think I as I was kind of typing out my thoughts I noticed a trend and a lot of the stories I read as a kid a lot of my favorite stories were either Japanese or they had Asian or Asian American protagonists. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. So I think, like our generation, like the writers of our generation or the generation before us, as I should probably say, um, you know, they kind of got the ball rolling with representation. They kind of realized, like, oh, maybe we don't have these storybooks, um, with kids that are like us, come from homes like us, you know, have these experiences, and so they got the ball rolling, and then we're the generation that gets to consume this literature and gets to see ourselves in literature. So that was always really important to me as a kid. Yeah, that sounds really powerful, and bouncing off of that, um, I also come from Im- Im- an immigrant family, but due to my race, obviously, you know, that is, you know, I come from a place of privilege in that standpoint, and the stories that mattered the most to me weren't necessarily ones that I read, but the ones that I heard, especially from my grandmother, you know, coming from a very small Polish village and never having any formal education when she talked about like how she grew up, how my family grew up. I just felt like that was a window into another world and listening to her talk about her past experiences really just gave me a lot of perspective on not only like the multicultural aspect, but also on a lot of just like basic life skills. Well, I completely agree with that. My grandmother used to tell stories about my great-grandfather that came from Italy and she explained how, you know, in his family it was kind of frowned upon for him to go to school and get an education because he was supposed to work for to help his family. And that really used to make me think how lucky I am that I'm here now and I, I get to have the opportunity of education without being reprimanded for it like he was. Yeah, for sure. That's really important. And stories from our grandparents or, you know, oral traditions, they give us a lot of 
perspective and they are kind of like they have transportative properties um mm-hmm. my A real eye opener yeah for sure sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah no um but yeah so i know you got you gabby and felicity you both had stories from your grandparents my grandpa is just kind of he doesn't like to make a big deal about things and so he was actually in the internment camps during world war ii and the fact that i haven't heard much about it is honestly kind of disturbing to me sometimes but yeah just building off of stories from our parents our grandparents who may have immigrated from different countries they're so powerful they oh are. wow and i feel like that like it goes to show that like depending on like where you were in the world at what time not only do you like carry maybe like i don't know if shame is the right word but it's definitely you you like your past and like where you come from definitely like filter out what kind of stories you think are like appropriate to share and there's a lot of reasons and they're complex reasons as to like why you know certain people think it's okay and certain people think it's not okay oh yeah for sure Um, On a bit of a lighter note, something I used to do a lot as a little kid, if I found a book that I really liked, I would like pretend to be the character. And it wasn't even like a fairy tale. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't even like a fairy tale or anything like that. Like there were these two books. One of them was called Big Yellow Lollipop. It was literally a picture book. (laughs) And then this other one was called Clarily and the Apple Pie Dream, which was probably below my reading level, but like you know what? The books below your reading level are always the more fun ones to yeah. read anyway, so... <laughs> I, um, stemming off of that as a child, I always used to like to read books that, you know, really drew you in almost as, like, not a fantasy, but almost like you can live within that story instead of reality. I used to use books as, like, a method of escapism a lot as a child. Yeah, for sure. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely feel... Oh, oh my god it's about I, like replacing yourself with the character i completely agree i used to devour like 400 page like fantasy dystopian romance novels in like <laughs> yes. two hours yes. like two hours like i don't know how i did it yeah. but somehow i did and now we we get 10 page papers from the 1800s and it's so much fun guys right <laughs> definitely want to replace yourself with that main character for sure. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> for sure definitely what i was doing while taking the sat <laughs> actually though sometimes it helps to like try to do that yeah. like, when you're reading something really boring like and you try your best to do it like it makes it a little bit more digestible yeah and put on your best like british colonial accent you know and just, <laughs> and just roll with the punches yeah, for sure <laughs> all right know, yeah i don't know if you guys went through a like a writing phase but I used to write my own stories about this girl detective thing named Maddie Mercury, and it was basically like a personal diary, but like not really because I just like over exaggerated everything mm-hmm. and made like a whole, a whole different universe. And if I encountered somebody in school or in life that was similar to, that was like no, okay. So if I encountered somebody in school that happened to be 
inspiring and whether that was for the better or the worse i would like slightly change the lettering of the name and put them in the maddie mercury <laughs> i did the same exact thing and you know i think it, i think it goes to show that sometimes the stories that matter the most are the ones that we craft for ourselves exactly for sure I know. <laughs> no, but do you guys know what like rather than even storybooks do you notice how in like movies there's always great stories because like i draw my I'm always drawn to action stories and movies and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. And like, I don't know. It's kind of great to just see this random world that someone else yeah. just completely made out of their head. For sure. <laughs> you know, I'm, I know, Amelia, you can definitely relate to this when we had Miss um, Miller as an English teacher, how she would always oh let gosh. us write our own stories. And I love that because I just spent so much time on those essays, even though they weren't even worth that many points, just so I could like create my own type of story so and fun. get you know sucked into it and like escape reality for a bit oh my gosh yeah all right so on the topic of essays i think that we are ready to move on to our second prompt which is what stories or experiences in your high school class mattered most and why all right i mean oh, go ahead oops sorry <laughs> no selena go ahead i talked way like, too much I, I, <laughs> sorry i know i've talked to this a lot with amelia but was it especially this year Mr. Bundle really helped me understand literature more like I don't know how to explain it but my other high school literature classes they were kind of repetitive like oh yeah learn this word put it in a sentence and then like analyze this book I don't know he helped us further our understanding and really I guess apply understand yeah. what was going on and then look for a deeper meaning yeah last year with Mr. Tellinghusen he he also really helped me enjoy the the discussions of literature more since it was extremely laid back i don't know if any of you had him but his discussions were very laid back it was like talking to another person rather than just like a teacher giving you instructions and prompts and stuff like that and that made me really enjoy the the topics of the books a lot more than i was used to before that you know i kind of had like a similar experience last year in ap lang um I just think it was like such a valuable experience to me personally because it had been like a long long time since I'd like dissected a text in a way that like I could like appreciate it for what it was instead of you know just like mechanically like sorting it out mm -hmm. and I think it really just gave me like a newfound appreciation and curiosity for literature like I know that sounds like a little dramatic but no, I'm sure that class like had like a huge impact on me yeah that class. yeah for sure it even got me to yeah enjoyed delving into books that I didn't even like. <laughs> mhm. Mm no, exactly. You kind of just like like I said like you learn how to like appreciate a text even though it might not be like all oh, the first thing you pick off a shelf, yeah. you know, like an 1800s manuscript, but mm -hmm. you can still like appreciate it and just like even dare I say like have fun with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. I feel like well, uh Gabby, Selena and I all had Mrs. Simos, so <laughs> some of us liked her a little more than others. But it is undisputable that she—I feel like she kind of laid down the foundation for what Mr. Bundelow was able to open up to us. So while Mrs. Simos may have been more like structured, she may have been more you know work heavy or you know a little more detail oriented when it came to. Um, 
when it came to texts, when it came to things that she wanted to point out to us, Mr. Bundelow's class for me was an entire like 360 because, you know, M- Mrs. Simos was great, of course. I had actually had to write one of my letters of rec, but um, Mr. Bundelow was just so different. He was, I felt like he was a lot more relaxed and, you know, he's got that <laughs> millennial hipster <laughs> that we all love. The guitar right? playing vibe. The guitar <laughs> playing vibe. <laughs> Yeah, no, so, I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, but I, like, completely agree. And I think it, like, goes to show that, like, you really do need to, like, in some way, shape, or form, like, work at those, like, critical thought, this the, like, the, the critical thinking skills and just, like, basic, like, literary skills to be able to dissect texts in, like, a more enjoyable way later on. Yeah, I know and anyone that I know that has him as a teacher, whether in this period or another, they all love his teaching style because it's it's so nice that he lets you enjoy the actual meaning of the story instead of like picking out details that don't matter as much as you know, you mm-hmm. think. Yeah, because like what Amelia said, Simos was very structured. She it kind of felt like she was just trying to lead us to what she thought the text was about. Where Bundela was open to kind of hearing what we thought and then kind of branching off of that, you know? Yeah. Um, so what stories did you guys feel like had the biggest impact on you this year? Loki Hamlet. <laughs> I love <Me> Hamlet. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I did not expect I to like I'd, it. I thought I'd hate it. Me too. I thought I'd hate it. But like when we got deeper into it, I was like, actually, he's relatable, even though we're all not Norwegian princess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Something I wanted to bring up was that text that we read at the beginning of the year that Mr. Bundelowitz talks about. You know, Nabokov's better writers and readers. Yeah. I think I'm not. I don't know for sure. But I remember something that Nabokov cautioned was relating to a character in a novel and he was like almost I don't want to say like maniacal or like super strict about it but he was just like that is like the most sacrilegious thing you can do to like an author blah 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 (laughs) but at the same time I feel like like with like with Selena and Hamlet I feel like when you can relate to a character you can appreciate what the author's trying to do with that character a little more than if you just went into it and tried to read the character as a character, not as a person. Yeah. Definitely. No, I agree. And I think that this is kind of funny, but I feel like the more, you know, you like read, the more you analyze characters plot, I feel like we are getting better at like reading people, you know, because I feel like there's this like line between like relatability and like the scientific, you know, like objective perspective. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it just seems easier to like understand people's motives for me. And it really helps with, you know, sympathy and really understanding that people go through things that you wouldn't even imagine. Like Piccola and the Bluest Eye. If you, if you didn't know her story, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be as kind and sympathetic to her. But reading stories like that make you really think that anyone could be going through anything at any given point and you should always act with that sympathy towards them regardless whether you know it or not um yeah i actually i actually also thought that the bluest eye was probably one of the more impactful stories that i read in bundalo's class this year and i really loved how morrison 
um, she really brought out that theme of beauty and she made it something substantial because I feel like a lot of the time insecurity caused by self-image whether that's like you know Eurocentrism and like me as a minority being like oh I wish I was white or like you know pickle as a black girl oh I wish I had blue eyes um you know whether it's that or whether it's something that like everybody struggles with like I don't know like oily hair or acne you know that can be very easily dismissed as a petty concern or a first world issue but through the bluest eye I feel like Morrison really made the statement that it's a problem that everyone faces and people are harmed by it like if you even look at Chali and Mrs. Breedlove and like that sense of ugliness and self-hate like destroyed an entire generation like an entire mm-hmm. family yeah no I completely agree you know and I feel like this like ties really well into our third prompt in like you know in terms of like growing as a reader and a consumer of human experience like not only like through literature are you exposed to like so many like ideas but it's not just like the exposure that counts in my opinion it's like the actual verbalization and the pointing out of like specific issues specific problems that like lead you to become not only like a better person but you i feel like you become better equipped to deal with them in your own life exactly like stories Mm -hmm. like the bluest eye they don't they don't beat around the bush of like the subject matter they just get right into it whether how awful it is which is something that humans need to society needs to start getting better at because if they keep topics like that and terrible events like that hush hush no one is going to you know grow and learn how to deal with it in the appropriate manner and i mean there reaches a point where a story becomes more than a story like the themes in the story become something like tangible and you can take what you know of a character's experience and you know like felicity was saying earlier with the sympathy with the empathy you can apply it to your own life and it can totally shape how you view others mm-hmm. and yourself because exactly. oh, sorry you know, i just uh, no go ahead go ahead i know for sure like looking into the stories that we've read especially like the great gatsby to uh tony morrison's the bluest eye and then like um hamlet there's always that giant divide in social class and as we keep reading we hear more and more about like what like the struggles of being rich and poor and i guess it gives us all a perspective that we could look at and how money can't truly Mm -hmm. buy you happiness and the fact that being in a lower class helps you grow and appreciate more that's very true i also feel like just like the language that we use now that instead of calling it like a book or a novel we like tend to use the word like story i feel like that has a huge impact on how we like even digest these novels and these you know and these pieces of work because if you think about it really everything in our lives whether it be like our own personal narrative in our heads to us like recounting something that happened in the past to someone telling us something those are all stories you know and i feel like by addressing them in the way by addressing novels and books as stories which they are it just helps us kind of like absorb i feel like at least for me it helps me like absorb the messaging and like what's going on as something like tangible and real yeah, exactly for if, sure even if a, a novel isn't like the story of it isn't based on a true event that event has happened somewhere in some form so it's it's best to mm-hmm. 
think of it as a story because it, it is somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so kind of going back to Lang, um, something that I really learned how to do with literature, like within the confines of literature, and this may kind of, you know, spill into the fourth prompt, but I really learned how to create a solid argument to defend my beliefs with like, you know, evidence. And that me being kind of like a more of a non-confrontational person, like that's always been a little more difficult to do, especially if in front of like an audience or I mean, even if it was just in front of Ms. Simos, but um, that's just, that's a lesson that I feel like I've taken away from, you know, besides, besides empathizing with characters, besides seeing that the world is basically a giant story, I feel like, you know, developing a voice in that story has also been a really key part of my literature language experience. I completely agree with you about, like, the non-confrontational part, because last year in Lang, whenever we had discussions, even if I was really into the, the story that we chose and I had good points to bring up, I was always too afraid to actually bring them up. So I just sat there in silence with them going through my head. And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm trying to really work on. I still do that now in discussions just because I'm scared to... I don't want to say scared, but it's, it makes me nervous. Especially when there's like 10 plus people in the the call it's it's hard to do that sometimes even if i really want to speak no i agree and like bouncing back to like the like i feel like the things that we have taken out of our literature classes for me like the thing that i've taken out the most is just like the value of like a liberal arts and like holistic education Agree. because i've taken a lot of like hard science classes math classes english classes social science classes and i feel like nothing beats the critical thought that you get in like an english class or like any kind of like humanities class you know because you can be the best at the sciences the best at the math but i feel like at a certain point there's a level of thought that just you can't dive deeper into that kind of like not not only is it like debating but it's just it's just straight up thinking like you can't beat that in the discussions that you have literature is almost kind of like psychology where the more empathy you have the more point of view you build it's easier to understand the text Mm -hmm. for sure yeah felicity i don't know if you know this quote like I know you were into the oh, Dead Poets Society at some point, but I remember that there was this one quote where the protagonist said something like, you know, practical practical skills, like maybe the more science and mathy things are like what we learn to do, but like the arts yeah. are what we live for or something like that. I probably totally oh, that your bed, but... I, I rewatched it again for like the 500th time last week. It, <laughs> it always gets <laughs> no but that's true you know i feel like i don't know i'm i'm obviously like not phrasing this as eloquently as i would like to but there's just something about english that you can't beat Mm -hmm. and i i'm an english nerd but like that's like my unbiased Mm -hmm. opinion why are you majoring in biochem <laughs> well actually funny you say that because i am actually considering either double majoring or combining somehow with the humanities That's with my current I'm thinking major. i'm majoring in neuroscience <laughs> next year and i just i want to do i want to oh, nice. involve english somehow just because it's it's something that makes me truly happy 
and that sounds like so nerdy but i i just need to yeah have it a part of my life hey we're we're all we're all like the same wavelength here i totally understand that um something a little more personal for me is that i've for better or for worse I feel like I've always had a lot of empathy and like sometimes that can be to a detrimental point. Um, And despite, you know, like like Gabby being really interested in the sciences, like English, social studies, that just comes more naturally to me. And I've taken the empathy that can sometimes, you know, make me into a doormat or, you know, make me doubt myself. I've taken that and I've turned it into an asset with English and with social studies. So I definitely agree, Gabby, with that whole point about liberal. I could definitely say that we're all big math science students, but, and me, myself too, I'm a mm-hmm. giant math person just because of how structured, how easy it is. It's just formulas on top of formulas and then diving and analyzing that. It's just with English, there's mm-hmm. so much more, like, ugh, it's simple to say, but you just have to think so much harder than you actually do. And there's not one set structure that you can think of literature. Yeah, you can't be a robot when it comes to English. It's impossible. It forces you to show that you're human, no matter how much of a robot you want other people to think you are. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? That's actually a really powerful point because (laughs) speaking of asking why I'm going to biochem, (laughs) you know... (laughs) My, like, long-distance goal is medical school. And I feel like if you have a job that combines, like, so much, like, face-to-face, not only... It's, like, so much face-to-face time with people. You have to have so much, like, compassion, understanding. Like, you have to really be able to think. I feel like that is why I am made. You know, and that's, like, that's where, like, the liberal arts and English, like, really comes into play. Yeah, even... My goal is also medical school. So even if science is your end goal literature will will help you in the the social aspect and the empathy aspect with patients and it'll just make you that much more of a doctor for sure i mean getting good grades on your step exams and getting the best residency it all doesn't matter if you have terrible bedside manner because you know it it's both things that make you a doctor so oh my gosh exactly like you wouldn't want like a that's a, that's like why like robots will never be able to become doctors or nurses <laughs> it's because you really need to be like a holistically like not only holistically educated but like a holistically empathetic person this to go into a career like that point, but i had to have um a foot surgery my freshman year and the doctor he was a great doctor he did a really good job but he had an awful bedside manner like i will not go back to him for anything just because he was <laughs> He was a robot. He was definitely a robot, and I don't want to be like that as a doctor. Building off of that, <laughs> I have a dermatologist. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names here. I have a dermatologist. Mans comes into the room every single appointment. He's he's this like New York guy graduated from Yale. He's tired. He's grumpy. He points to his little iPad with his middle finger. It's all these subliminal <laughs> things that just make me think like, do you really <gasps> no, want to okay, be here? Same. Like I understand. I understand. Yeah, but... Okay. Sleep. Okay. Like the the scary part oh, is uh, my neurologist. You know, the person who's supposed to understand the brain and everything. He's very robotic. And no, and when I have oh, appointments with him, oh, no. he's kind of, he sits there like, te- like he's, I don't know, anxious, 
like he's kind of just ready to move on to the next patient but like with my gynecologist she'll always kind of take time ask me how I'm feeling or like I don't know get to know how I'm feeling before like just like oh yeah no this that that diagnosis you know what I mean yeah you know we could create a whole (laughs) another podcast about like medicine and like the effects of the system okay because it is the system that causes doctors to maybe they should take more literature classes but But maybe taking more literature classes would help (laughs) yeah um one more thing that i wanted to bring up to cap this all off it's the whole idea that a lot of people are afraid of what they don't know whether they realize it or not and people want to stay within their comfort zones and accept what they're told from maybe their parents or maybe even their teachers as a fact and i think that one more thing that these literature classes have definitely hammered home is that we need to look deeper and we need to question everything we need to question the status quo and think about evidence and find evidence and then face the fears that we might have of the unknown and maybe they're not like monster under the bed fears but more like you know uncomfortable conversation kind of fears yeah. exactly i feel like by reading like these like really provocative texts you you become like i don't know if desensitizes the right word but it's that exposure that really drives you know your open-mindedness right. it's ultimately important to be pushed outside mm-hmm. of your your comfort zone in order to grow as both like a reader and a human yeah exactly well guys i think we're nearing the end of our actually hold on a sec let me let me stop the waterworks here um, i don't want to i, I actually... don't want to give anything away but I've been hearing some whispers from our quote-unquote people that there may be a special guest coming for next week's episode. Oh yeah, I forgot all about him! You may have heard of him. He's very exclusive, very hard to book. You know, we had to really drop a lot of money for him. His, his name starts with a B. for my bank account! <laughs> That's right, it's the one, the only, the guitar playing Michael Bundle. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thanks for listening to this week's installment of the AP Reread. And we'll see you guys back here next week, our dear listeners, with our final, final episode with our own, our very own English teacher, Mr. Bundelow.